State your full name for the record. Eileen Warnes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. If you can't hear me at any time, let me know. Okay. Okay. And I would uh, also ask Dan that you speak loudly enough for the interviewer to hear you. Okay. Can you, you might need to come a little closer to the microphone if you can. Okay. Okay. How old are you? 35. Uh, where are you from? Troy, Michigan. When did you leave home or come to Florida? Uh, around 14 years old. Okay. Where had you been living just prior when you were 14 years old and you decided to come to Florida? I was living in Troy, Michigan. Okay. With your family? Yes. Uh, why did you come to Florida? Because when I was younger and I was living out in the streets, I was sleeping in the snow and all. It was too cold, and I had to come to Florida where it was warmer weather and seek warmer shelter. Okay. How did you come to Florida? I hitchhiked. And did you come with a friend, or how did you come? By myself. How did you support yourself during those early years? Well, I had a couple jobs for 75 cents an hour, but I basically was a prostitute. Okay. Well, when did you start becoming a prostitute, Lee? At the age of 16. Okay. And how did that happen? How did you end up getting into that particular profession? Well, there was a, when I was hitchhiking, a lot of guys would pick me up and they'd ask me if I wanted to make some money. And they'd give me like 60 or $100, and back in them days, a $2, you could get a $2 meal for, you know, I mean, a cheap meal. So it was really good money. I was only making 75 cents an hour, and it was excellent money to help me because I was on the road. And so I took the offer, and that's where I became a hitchhiking prostitute. Were you always in Florida doing that? Were you always no, always I was all over the United States. And how old were you when you finally came to, to Florida to settle? Do you remember? Yes, I was Florida? about, um, si well, I was 16 when I came to Florida. Mm -hmm. But I mean, to settle, to just settle, mm -hmm. I was about 20. Have you ever had children? Yes, I have one son. And how old were you then? He should be about 21. How old were you when you had him? Oh, I was uh, 14. Okay. And did you give the child up, or what happened? Objection, Your Honor. Irrelevant. Better answer the question. Uh, my grandmother made me give the child up. My parents, my grandmother and grandfather. You, you thought of your grandparents as your parents? Yes, they adopted me. How often over the last few years, let's start four or five years ago, how often would you go out during the week to, to hustle on the highways? Just previously? Let's say the last four or five years. Well, I would go out about anywhere from three to three to seven days. It depended. It basically four days out of week for sure. And how many men would you say you'd have contact with during the course of a day? Hmm. I would say I had at least anywhere from three to 
eight, it depended, it varied, but definitely three a day at least. I mean, but it varied. I could have six, I could have eight. And not all of those contact, or, or were all of those contacts sexual? Yes, those are sexual contact. Okay. And uh, did you have contacts with men on the road that weren't sexual? Or oh, yeah. Every day, at least, at least eight to 15. <laughs> because I worked from exit to exit. Okay, explain that, you worked from exit to exit. Well, uh, I would leave Daytona, and there's times I'd spend the whole day on the road or, or the whole night, and I'd stay two or three days gone. And I just worked from one exit to the other. If a guy would pick me up and he wasn't interested, now so a lot of guys asked me too, I didn't have to ask them. Okay. And if they were interested, Fine, but if they weren't, I'd just get off the next exit and try again. Okay. Uh, there came a time when you met Ty, mm -hmm. Tyree Moore. Mm -hmm. When was that? 1986, I believe. And describe your relationship with Ty. Well, um, I met her at the Zodiac, and from the very first day I met her, we fell head over heels with each other, and uh, at the first year we were pretty, you know, kind of sexual, but we, the second year and the third year and on, we became like sisters, and I loved her very deeply. She loved me very deeply, but we didn't care about the sex part anymore. We just cared about each other. We were really, really close, like a knot, like a, tied like a rope, like a knot on a rope. Uh, did your, uh, I'm going to call it hustling because that's what you've called it. Your hustling uh, stop once you got into the relationship with Ty. No, she. Matter of fact, she quit her job at El Carib. Uh, the the first month that I was with her, she quit her job because I told her I make $150 a day or better, and you only make $150 a week. So if you want to quit, I'll support you. And she was all for it, and she continued to support me like a cheerleader. She wanted me out there. She told me all the time to go out and make more money. Okay. Did you begin to go out more often? Did there come a time you started well, going out more often? The last year, she didn't like the trailer living, and she just constantly was telling me that I wasn't providing enough for her, that she wanted me to go out there and make more money because she wanted me to get a pressure cleaner business again and also get a house for her everything else. So she said, I want you to go out there more often. She was pretty much like my pimp, it seemed like I was a white slave. I didn't realize it, but she'd tell me to go on out there. If I didn't, she was going to break up with me and find another girl that would definitely take care of her. And I loved her to the max, and I wasn't going to do that. Did you talk about your experiences on the road with her? Um, not really. Why not? She, she didn't want to hear it. She'd never, she always told me not to talk to her about it. She didn't care what happened to me out there. Did you try to talk to her about Richard Mallory? Yeah, I did, but she didn't want to listen. Uh, and during the times that you were uh, with Ty, did she ever work? Uh, Tyra worked when I first met her, Al Karib, then she quit a month. 
I took care of her, and then she worked for a couple times at Sepper Motels, I mean Sepper Hills Motel, but she didn't get any money. That was for board, so I took care of her there. The only solid job she ever had, she was a laundry worker for two months, and that didn't work long, so forget that. Uh, the only solid job she had was uh, Casa Del Mar the last year. She was making like about 300 every two weeks, okay. or 277, something like that. And was she working when you two split up? No. Had she quit her job? She got fired. Do you know why? She beat up her boss. Okay. So during these periods of time, were you supporting her? Uh, yes. What, what were you spending your money on? Oh, well. Well, see, I wanted to save up for like a house and the pressure cleaner and everything else. And every time I came home with money, she always wanted to go to the mall, buy clothes. I never bought clothes for myself. I, I had a bra even that had Band-Aids on it and safety pin and everything. I mean, I never could, I always, I just took care of her. I didn't really seem to want to care about myself. I just took care of my, her and bought her a lot of clothes and everything. And a lot of times she'd just go to the bars and we'd go to fancy restaurants and bars and we blew it all in basically bars. I mean, $100, I saw her spend three, $200 in a quarter machine for stuffed, stuffed animals in one night, just done quarters in the machine. She, she, whatever she wanted, she got it. I, I loved her very much. Did you like to drink, too? Yes, I drank. Mm -hmm. Did you drink a lot? Just as much as her. We always kept even. We always made sure we, we were drinking the same amount, so... One wouldn't have more than the other. We, we, that's how close we were. We, we did everything together. Okay. Would you drink when you were out on the road working? Yeah, I drank about, I'd say anywhere from two to six beers, sometimes more, sometimes less. Why would you drink out on the road? Well, it was like my tranquilizer. I was shy and hard to sometimes I was just shy I was embarrassed about my body because I had a whipped well I was just shy and it, it was my tranquilizer and plus I was scared out there sometimes I was nervous and but I knew that that was my profession it's the only thing I could do so did you accept rides with men of all ages yes I did it yeah but but the young guys I decided not to deal with because I've learned throughout time that they were always high, they were always stoned on or something and, and they just seemed a little more like <coughs> aggressive and like a violent attitude or something. I don't I didn't trust them. And they always were stoned or something. And I don't do drugs, so prior to uh, meeting Richard Mallory had you ever been hurt while you were out working on the road? Yes. Can you tell us about that? <clears throat> well, I had, twice I had uh, mace guns, and they got those away from me and beat me up pretty bad and raped me. And then I had this bullfighter mace that a friend of mine gave me. Objection, and Your Honor, to the question not specifying some kind of time frame or time reference 
uh, lay of practice. Within the last five years, starting with the first time, within the last five years, we'll go back later, uh, if you would tell the jury about any instances and where you were living when these occurred. Okay. Uh, I was living with Tyra and, and Oleander, and it was, you want the year or something? If you recall the year. Yes, it was in 86 and 87 and 88. Okay. And um, also there was a couple of guys that raped me without any weapon, and I got hurt on that and everything. When you were a young girl, just starting out, were you ever physically hurt while you were out on the road? And if, if you were, again, tell us where you were and how old you were. Okay, I was hurt a couple of times. Um, there was this guy in Jeffersonville, Indiana. He was a third degree karate and judo, and judo instructor and a school seventh grade school teacher, and I met him in a lounge and um, he beat me up so bad he, you couldn't describe my face and I got away from him when I finally got help and the police arrived they told me that he he raped a police officer's daughter and disfigured her face so bad you couldn't describe it and that he'd killed two teenagers and they were in the backyard of his house buried in cement that <clears throat> was lucky I got away and it took me about well I did a report and everything and but I don't know what happened. If They were just beating him up with flashlights and everything else and told me not to say anything. What, I was beat up. It took me about two months to recover. I still had yellow and purple and everything on my face. Why didn't you quit working the roads after you'd been hurt? Because it was my only way I could well see like I tried to get churches to help me and they told me I had to be a part of the congregation and they wouldn't help me and I tried to be a police officer when I was 20 years old they told me I had to have three thousand dollars for tuition and um, that uh, then they'd send me to some academy or something like that I, had, I didn't have my GED then I tried to be a correctional officer here in Daytona and they told me I had to have a car I didn't have a car I only had a bicycle um, then I tried the Salvation Army. They told me I can only crash at their place for one day out of every 364 years. You can only stay one night. And I tried and tried and tried to help myself. I joined. I took the aptitude berry test for the Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marines, and I missed by three to five points every time. And I thought that would help me get off the road by just going into the government military field, and I didn't pass. And that took me two years because you got to wait six months every time to take the aptitude battery test. And so the only thing I, had, I could do was be a prostitute and live off of it. I lived here and there and everywhere. But I had apartments at one time, but then I lost them and stuff. And do you remember catching a ride with Richard Mallory? Uh, yes. If you remember, when did you meet him? It was at the end of November. Of what year? 1989. Okay. Where were you when you first met Richard Mallory? I was on 
I-4 underneath an I-75 overpass. Okay. And describe the first meeting that you had with him. Well, I was coming from Fort Myers. I had spent a couple nights there. The second night, <coughs> I left Fort Myers. I left about 5.30, 6 o'clock. And it took me about six rides to get to I-4. I finally arrived at I-4, it was raining. So I walked off, I mean, yeah, I walked to I, down the ramp to I-4. It was raining, so I got underneath the bridge and it was, Wait, I was waiting for it to stop raining, and I was pretty much off into the, where the viaduct, I think you call her, with that slab of cement. Mm -hmm. I was uh, right under there, away from the vehicles, because when they were passing, it was spraying uh, rain all over me. So I was over there waiting for it to stop raining. Then uh, it slowed down, and I decided I was going to walk toward the light. There was a big light out there. I was going to walk under it so they could tell, you know, what if I was a girl or a guy or, you know, what I was. And as I started to walk, a vehicle pulled over before I even get, got past the bridge. And then it start, its lights came on and started backing toward me. And I didn't know if it was a bunch of guys in the car or what, but anyway, a car, a vehicle passed. And its headlights went on in the vehicle and I saw one head. So I felt, all right, walked up to the car. I opened the door and I said, did, did you stop for me? And he said, yeah. Are you going to Orlando? I said, no, I'm going to Daytona. He said, oh, wow, you're a lucky day, man, because I'm going all the way to Daytona. I said, oh, wow, this is great. So I got in the car and we proceeded down the road. Let me ask you something, Lee. At this time, the time that you met um, Richard Mallory, had you started carrying a gun? I carried the gun six months before, at least, or four months. Some I can't really recall when, but it was in Rutland when I got the the pistol. Okay. And why were you carrying the gun? For strictly protection. <clears throat> if you will describe your uh, your trip with Ms., uh, Mr. Mallory from. The time he picked you up until, let's say, Orlando. Okay. <clears throat> All right, when you mean when he picked me up and now we're going down the road. Okay. Uh, just, if you will, were you having a conversation with him? Yes. Okay. Tell us about that. All right. So when he picked me up, he asked me. You know, where I was going to tell him Daytona, I was real glad and everything. We started down the road. He asked me if I wanted to drink. He, he had some kind of, I didn't know what it was. I just saw tox, tonic bottles, and then I thought it said Smirnoff. I'm not sure. And he asked me if I wanted to drink. And um, and then I asked him, I said, well, what is it? And he says, vodka. So I said, all right. And I think he had orange juice. And I said, sure, I'll take a drink, you know. So he made he pulled over and he made me a drink and then we started back on the road and then he asked me if i wanted to smoke some marijuana i said no i my hands swell my feet swell my heart beats a mile a minute i can't stand it but if you know if you smoke it that's your business and he said well then you don't mind i said it's your car i don't care what you do it's up to you and he said okay so he's smoking marijuana and we're going down the road and then he asked me what i did and i told him i'm i'm in the pressure cleaning and I asked him what he did. He said he had a video store that he owned and 
<clears throat> that he was on his way to Daytona. He's going to. He was telling me about his video store. He was on his way to Daytona to see some topless bars, and if I knew any girls out there that would be interested in pornography films, that he'd give two to three thousand dollars an hour for these sessions. And I told him I don't know anybody. I'm into pressure cleaning. And I, know, I only got one girlfriend that I know, and I know she wouldn't be interested, so sorry I can't help you there. And so we just talked about anything, politics, religion, talked about his store a lot. And still on the sex part, now and then, but I just I told him I don't know anybody constantly on that stuff. Finally arrived to Orlando, and he asked me if I wanted any beer instead of mixed drink, because I had told him that I, I, haven't, I don't drink mixed drinks that much. And that I haven't had a mixed drink in about 10 years, it seems. Had you had any other alcohol that day? Yes, I drank, car with him? I, I drank beer in Fort Myers. I just came out of the office pub on my way back to Daytona. See, I had made around $300, and I only had about 250 or 60 left. I didn't want to blow it because I had to get back and get that apartment. That, okay. okay. So, uh, what did you do once you got to Orlando? Okay, so when I got to Orlando, he went ahead and he bought a six-pack for me. I think it was Bush. He asked me if I want a pack of cigarettes. I said, no, thank you. I've got some already. And then uh, he just got a little more gas, and we went down the road. We got past Orlando, and we had to stop to go to the bathroom, so we got out and went to the bathroom. Then I got back in. We were talking about, he was talking about his wife or his ex-wife. I don't remember if he was married or not married or nothing, but he was talking about having problems with this lady that was he was worried about losing his video store and he was losing his business he's gonna lose his house he's gonna lose his car he's gonna lose everything and i don't know if he was married or not okay did you proposition him no why not because i was too exhausted and everything i had enough money and i just wanted to get home all i wanted to do is get get home that's all i cared about okay. it was late it was about 11:30 when he picked me up okay um, at night so Tell us what happened next. Okay, so anyway, then we stopped, went to the bathroom. Then he kept asking me, he said, well, how come you understand married people so well? And I said, well, because I always talk to a lot of married people. He said, but I just can't, man, you're just like a psychologist or a counselor. I mean, you get, you're, you're a good listener and you also give good advice. I said, well, thank you, you know. <laughs> so then he said, he said, do you mind if we just kind of stop somewhere and talk for a little while? I'd like to, you know, listen to your advice and stuff. You know, you're, you're helping me and stuff. And I said, well, I really want to get home. You know, I'm really tired and everything. And I've been hitchhiking for so long. And he said, he said, well, I mean, you know, just let's just go talk for an hour or something. I mean, I'll, I'll take you home. And I said, well, it is getting pretty late. If I if I um, go home, the dog's gonna, I don't have a key on me. If I go home, the dog's gonna start barking. The manager lives right next door and I'm gonna have to wake up Ty in the middle of the night. She has to go to work early in the morning. Cassie Del Mar, she was still working. So I said, well, I guess I wouldn't mind stopping and talking to you because I've got to pass a little time anyway. I'm gonna have to wait till in the morning. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I might even have to, you know, I mean, get a motel or something. I don't know what I'm going to do because it's too late for me to, I don't want Maggie to wake up the manager because he's already in the mood to kick us out. Okay. Okay. So, um, then he said, 
well, okay, I'll give you a lift home. I said, well, great, then that's going to save me on taxi money, too. So he said, all right. He said, well, where do you live around? I said, well, you got to get off at US-1, and then you go to Granada. You take Granada over to A1A, and then you go north, and I live at the Ocean Shores, I think it was called, motel. So then um, he, we continued. We decided, okay, I'd stop. So he got off at off a nine, uh, I-4 to 95, went north, got to US-1, got off, and he parked at a gas station. How long had it taken you to get to that point from when he first picked you up? Do you know? It was about two and a half hours from okay. Daytona. Yeah, from when he first picked hours. you up until you got to this place where he stops to get gas, yeah, at a gas I'd, station, I guess. I'd say two and a half hours. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so what happened after you stopped that time? Okay, so then I, he said, well, where can we park? And I said, well, anywhere. You know, this is fine. You can park right there if you want to. And he said, no, I'm smoking pot, and I don't want to get busted. And plus, we got all this booze and stuff, and, you know, a patrol car comes by. And I said, well, if you go north up here, there's a whole lot of places there's up here. And there's a, even Quail Run. They've got, like, a subdivision up there, and it's out near Benal, and it's really quiet up there if you want to go there. So he said, okay, let's go and check that place out. So... We went over there and we're sitting there talking and we talked for at least, I'd say, an hour and a half, two hours, just talking about everything. He still asked me about the pronos and all that stuff and I said, no, no, no. Were you drinking? Yes. We, I was drinking beer, he was drinking his mixed drinks and he was still smoking his pot. He got, he, I couldn't believe he was smoking so much pot. I even asked him what kind it was eventually and he said Sensamilli and I, I've heard Sensamilli some heavy pot. so. I couldn't believe it, but he was handling it, and he was doing all right. And um, so then um, we were talking away and everything, and oh, okay, so he asked me, how come if you know married people, and you're, you know, you're so good at counseling and everything, if you know married people so well, you told me you're single and you have a roommate, how can you know so many married people? So then I finally told him, I said, that's, I guess I'm going to have to explain to you, Richard, because you're being so honest with me and I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I'm, I'm, a hus I'm a hooker. I hustle for a living. And he said, hustle, you mean a sex? And I said, yeah, this is a sex. Okay. So then he, um, he said, well, God, I thought I was going to, we were going to get it on. I mean, eventually get it on together, but you don't do it. Free, you probably you, you do it for money right I said that's right I do it for money he said so you don't you don't do it for free right I said no I don't this is my job this is what I do for a living okay so he, what would you do next after you had that conversation with him then he asked me how much I charge and I said said 30 for head 35 straight 40 for half and a half 100 an hour and he said and I said well 100 an hour I don't usually you know make the person well, after an hour's up, I don't say, well, you got to give me another $100. If the guy's all right, you know, I'm just staying with him. We become friends. I just, thanks a lot, because I only want him enough for rent and whatever. I don't care about I'm not greedy. I don't care about making anymore. A hundred's fine. It's good enough for rent. That's cool. They're, they're now my friends. They're now my, another client. And so that's what I told him. And, um, and he said, um, so you, you mean tell me, if I gave you $100, we could spend a couple hours together. And I said, I guess so. I've been with you all this time. And plus, i got to wait for early, I've got to wait for dawn to come because I can't get home. And he said, all right, well, that sounds okay with me. He said, 
where's another place to go? Because we can't, we can't go here. I mean, it's wide open and everything. And I said, well, if we go back near the gas stations, there's a campground there, and there's some little places that kind of pull off in the road if you want to go there. He said, okay. So we started cruising down there. And he fixed another drink, and he's smoking another pot. I mean, and he had this thing, that this pipe that went into the marijuana, and it just twisted, and then you... I don't know what it's called, but that's what he was doing. He's, I couldn't believe how much he smoked. And I grabbed another beer, and I told him, I said, oh, my God, I forgot to tell you, we get, I use rubbers. It's mandatory. And he said, um, I said, we might have to stop the gas station and get some rubbers because I don't have any. He said, no, I got some. I said, oh, okay, that's good. So we started down the road, and finally we got to the area. We couldn't see to into the trail, so he asked me to get a flashlight out of the glove box. And so I got a flashlight out of the glove box, and I'm looking around. We finally saw the trail. We went in. You couldn't go too far in at all. We were real close to, to the road, and cars were going by, and you could see. So he took a smaller, tinier flashlight out of the glove box and put it on the dash um, so they wouldn't see the dome light because we were pretty close to the road. And then he said, well, I got an idea. How about if, if we both do this now? We both get undressed, so I know that you won't skip out on my money. And I said, well, Richard, you know, I've never rolled a client in my life. I've never skipped out on anybody, but I can understand, I think, what you're saying, because I told you I use rubbers, and I ain't going to do it without any rubbers with anybody. I don't care. No exception to the rule, and I'm precautious, so I guess you're being precautious, too. So, okay, that sounds fine with me. Is that unusual for you to take off all of your clothes first? No, because I used to do it all the time to let my clients know that I wasn't going to leave on them or anything, you know. So I was being honest with them. Hey, I'm all right. I'm a good, you know, I'm cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what happened after that? Did you take your clothes off after you had that conversation with him? Well, he started, he told me he had to go back and get some rubbers out of the trunk. He said, don't worry, I'm going to go get some rubbers out of the trunk. I'm going to go get a sleeping bag and a yellow blanket I mean eventually I, it was yellow a blanket and he was going to put it in the front seat so he wouldn't get anything on the car seat and so then he came back oh well wait a minute I yeah I was undressing then and I took my bag I put it over near the hump here and I started to take off my jeans and stuff and by the time I was starting to take off my jeans and everything he came back I was half undressed and I was putting my stuff in the back seat and then I said to him, I helped rearrange the sleeping bag and everything on the seat. I went and took a leak and everything. And then I said to him, I said, well, this ain't fair. I said, we agreed upon both of us get nude. I'm the only one nude. And uh, he turned down the dome light and he said, not bad. And I said, well, I don't know, because I've got a lot of stretch marks in the beer belly and everything. And, I think otherwise sometimes and then he had this kind of smirk on his face and he said you'll do and turns off the dome light was then, he mad huh was he mad at you for asking him to take his clothes off yeah I didn't ask him to take his I I haven't <clears throat> asked him yeah I'm starting to now but okay I haven't even asked him yet okay and that's the next thing I asked him I said okay. I said well Richard, why don't you take off your clothes and let's get started because it's cold in here because it was really cold outside. And he rolled down his window and he said, yeah, it is cold. I love cold weather. And all this wind, because it was windy out, all this wind's blowing in. So I said, hey, Richard, why don't you close the window, man? It's cold, man. And so he 
ignoring me, and he said, he started to act like he was t uh, unbuckling his pants and unbuckling, I mean, unzipping his pants. Then he said, what if I do told you I don't have enough money? And like, I'm telling you, I don't really care. I was just doing this for a little, I was really just doing this past time, but I wasn't gonna do it for free. I gotta definitely have to make something out of it because I've got somebody at home I can get my sex from if I need it. And I mean, or, you know what I'm saying. Okay, so anyways, I said, how much do you, have you got? And he said, I've only got a little for breakfast and some for gas. And I said, Richard, I said, no way. I said, I'm not here for my health. I said, we made an agreement. I'm sorry, but I guess we're going to have to just call this off. You know, because he's acting like he don't have any money. So I turned around and I had my clothes on top of some boxes or something that were in the back, something there. I can't remember exactly, but they were on something. And I started to grab them. And as I started to grab my clothes, I saw him coming toward me. And then I was going to turn to look at him. And before I even got a chance to turn to look at him, he whipped a cord around my neck and pulled me toward him. Had you told him at that point, I'm not going to have sex with you? Had you said no? Yes, I told him no way. I said, I'm not here for my health, no way. You know, we're going to have to call this off then. Okay. Tell us what happened after uh, you felt the court around your neck. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm really nervous and I'm really getting pretty shy and embarrassed and this is hard for me, so just Bear with me. Um, he put the cord around my neck and he said, yes, you are, bitch. He said, you're going to do everything I tell you to do. And if you don't, I'll kill you right now and I'll fuck you after. Like, just like the other sluts I've done. And, um, then he said, it doesn't matter to me. Their body, your body will still be warm for my huge cock. And he said, he was choking me and I was holding it like this. And he said, do you want to die, slut? And I just nodded no. And then he said, are you gonna, you gonna listen to everything I've got to say? Have you do? And I just nodded yes. And he told me to lay down on this car seat. So when he told me to lay down, he told me to give me my hands. And so I gave him my, I had to lift up my hands like this and he, tied my hands and he tied me to the steering wheel. Where is he in, in relation to you at this point? He's sitting in the driver's seat. Is he behind you? I'm laid down like this with my feet near the window. Okay. Okay. And then what happened? Then he got out of the car and told me to slide up and get comfortable because he's going to see how much meat he can pound in my ass. 
So he walked around from the driver's seat to the passenger side and opened the door and he started to undress. And he's thrown his clothes on the floor. And this is very embarrassing for me. So he got in and then he towed, lifted my legs all the way up where my feet are near the window. Okay, what happened next? Then he he began to start having uh, anal sex. Okay. And he's doing this very violent manner, movement. And then he, I don't know, if he came, I'll climax. I, I talk street talk, so so I don't know if he did that. <clears throat> and he violently took himself out and violently put himself in my vagina. Were you saying anything to him at that point? No, I was crying my brains out. Okay. Was he saying anything to you? Yes, he was saying that he loved to hear me, the pain, and when I moaned, and he loved to hear my crying, and it turned him on. Okay, then what happened? Then he, well, he pretty much bruised, like, my cervix and all, and everything else. Get off. He had bruised my ribs and everything else. And he got off. Then he got up, took his clothes, walked over to the driver's side. And then so he took he put his clothes on the hood of the car. He had the door open. Now, went and got the ignition out of the car, went into the trunk and got something out of the trunk, and he brought it back, and it was a red cooler and a blue tote bag. So, anyway, in this red cooler was two liter bottles. I think they were Pepsi, I don't know, but they were two big bottles full of water, I think. The tote bag, had a maroon large towel, something like a white or yellow towel. Had I was turning my head to see what he was doing when I was tied to the steering wheel and it was straining my neck, so sometimes I had to put my head back down because I couldn't turn it all the way to see what he was doing. And I, at one time I asked him, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm full of surprises, honey, for you tonight. And I turned my head, kept watching, and the dome light was on, so this is how I saw what was coming out of the bag. And then there was a bar of soap, toothbrush, rubbing alcohol, and a bottle of Visine. So then he, uh, 
he took the bottle of rubbing alcohol and the bottle of icing, put it in front of my face, and he said, this is what this is. And I'm like, what? You know, and he takes the visine bottle and he puts it on the front of the dash and he takes the rubbing alcohol and puts it with his other stuff. And this guy begins to take a bath because he had blood all over his penis. And with some other jazz, which I don't think I should say. Okay. By taking a bath, do you mean he was cleaning himself? He began to take a bath using this water in the bottle. He put rubbing alcohol, I guess. I don't know if it was rubbing alcohol or what, but later he just poured it all over himself and he told, he was saying that the last sluts he had, he, he thought were full of diseases and he always had to clean himself. Okay, well what happened next? Okay. So he's cleaning himself, blowing me away. And I said to myself, I think this guy is going to kill me. He's going to get rid of me. Or he's, I don't know what he's going to do, dissect me or something. I don't know what he's got in this bag. Like, he's strange. He is totally weird. So he uh, gets everything. Every, he gets done cleaning. He puts his clothes back on. He gets the cooler, brings it back to the trunk, puts in, puts everything in the tote bag, leaves it there. He goes around the passenger side. He grabs the bottle of icing from the dashboard. He goes around the passenger side. And he says, this is one of my surprises. Oh, Lord, my ears are ringing. And I'm dizzy a little. Put your head down for a second. We can wait. Hmm. Okay. All right, so. Uh, takes the visine and he lifts up my legs and he puts what turns out to be rubbing alcohol in the visine bottle and he sticks some up my rectum area And that really hurt really bad because he tore me up for a while. And there some in my vagina, which really hurt bad. And then he walked around to, back to driver's seat side and he pulled my nose open like this, pulled them open and he squirt rubbing alcohol down my nose. And he said, I'm saving your eyes for the grand finale. And he put the visine back on the dash. And I was really pissed. I was just, I didn't care. I was yelling at him and everything else. He was laughing away saying, that's what I want to hear. I hear it when you start crying and all that pain. So. Then he put it there and there was a few more items on the car, he put it back in the tote bag. Then he put the tote bag back in the trunk. 
<coughs> Close the trunk. Came back, he had this gray radio, a square gray radio, two speakers on it. Went to the back of the seat, got the gray radio. <sighs> then went around the passenger side, made a drink, because he couldn't get through with me tied to the steering wheel. And then he walked back to the driver's side and went underneath the seat and got his marijuana, got his cigarettes off the dash, and I guess he walked over to the front of the car because I couldn't see where he was. And I felt the car move and he's just sitting there and he cranks up the radio. The window is still open in the car. I'm freezing to death. And sitting out there listening to the radio and I'm thinking this guy is thinking how he's going to kill me. So I'm trying desperately to get off untied from the steering wheel. I tried 101 times and he finally even, he even said, I can feel you moving in there, don't worry, you ain't going to get untied unless I untie you. I didn't care, I kept trying and I kept moving my body up like this and pulling and pulling. So finally he came back after about an hour, it must have been an hour or so, it seemed like the longest time. And he said, it's, finally the cold weather got to me, do you believe it? I'm getting in. So I'm thinking, how is he going to get in? I'm here, tied to the steering wheel, how can he get in? And he said, I'm going to untie you from the steering wheel and you better be a good girl, I'll kill you. So, he untied me from the steering wheel. He untied me and put the rope around my neck and held it like a leash around my neck. And told me to move over so he could move in. So he moved over. I mean, I moved over. And he moved in. And then closed the door. And he still saying all kinds of jazz about what he wants to do. So then he told me to turn toward him, lay down, and spread my legs. He has all his clothes on. I guess he's just going to sip himself. I don't know. Were you saying anything to him, Lee? I didn't say nothing. I was scared. Okay, so then what happened? I may have said something sardonic to him, like, why did you still got your clothes on? Why don't you take your clothes off like you did before? So, I don't know. I don't recall. I may have. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It's too long ago. It took me long. It was hard enough for me to remember these blackouts, because this is a blackout situation that I had to remember. So I don't recall do every incident that, every word and all that, that's hard for me to remember. I'm trying to hard my best to even remember everything he did say. Okay, just tell us what you do remember. Okay, good. Okay, so, he had me turn and he wanted to start having sex with me. And he had the rope, I mean not the rope, it was a, I later learned it was jacks to a stereo, but it was cut. Where there's only one jack 
and that's how I found out it was Jack's to a stereo or something, or TV or something. It was round, gray. So he had, he was holding me like this, like reins. That's when I said, I'm going to grab this. He grabbed it, he came right out of his hand, I flung it in the back seat. Did you say to him, I'm going to grab this, or did you were No, my mind. Okay. I said, grab that, grab it now, you know, do something, you got to fight. I, I thought to myself, I got to fight, I'm going to die. This guy is going to play with me and play with me, and then he's going to kill me. He's already said he's going to kill me. He's, he's already said he killed other girls. <coughs> I got to fight. I just got to fight for my life. Plus, now I'm, I was close to the area where my, my bag was, where my gun was. Okay, where, where was your, your bag? My bag was near the hump because I had first had it in the right side, but I had to move it because it was in the way for me to get my jeans off. And so I kind of moved it almost on the hump. Actually, it was almost on the hump. I pushed it all, all the way over so I could get room to move and change. Okay, so what happened next? So then, oh, he, I grabbed it, flung it. Yeah, he takes his left arm, he choking me, and I grabbed my, I just, I can't. He just grabbed me like this, and I grabbed my hand up like this, and kept it away. He slapped me really hard in the face and I took his, and he started to choke me but I grabbed his right or left arm, right arm, right arm, yes. And I kept it up and I would take get upward with my feet and I pushed him back and he kind of quit struggling and just got up on his knees and said, you're going to be a lot of fun. Why he was saying that? <laughs> I jumped up real fast and I spit in his face. And he said, you're a dead bitch, you're dead. And he's wiping his eyes. And I laid down real quick and I grabbed my bag. And he was starting to come for, for me when I grabbed my bag and threw, whipped my pistol out toward him. And he was coming toward me with his right arm, I believe. And I shot immediately. And I think I shot twice, as fast as I could. And then what'd you do? Then he started coming at me again, and I shot. He stopped. I hurried, kind of pushed him away from me. And he kind of sat up on the driver's seat. I hurried, opened the passenger door, ran around the driver's side, opened the door real fast, looked at him, and he started to come out. And I said, don't come out. Don't come near me. I'll shoot, I'll have to shoot you again or something like that. Don't make me have to shoot you again or something like that. He just started coming at me and I shot and I don't know where I shot him, I just shot him. And he fell on the ground. And then I pulled him away from the car. You wanna hear the rest? What happened? What happened after you shot him the last time? I stood there and looked at him and thought what I'm gonna do with the car and I said, well, I gotta drag him away from the car because he's near the car, I'm gonna run him over if I don't move him. So I dragged him away, I got back in the car totally nude. I went to reach for the keys and the ignition to start up, it wasn't there. 
So I ran back to him, I looked in his pockets for his keys, got his keys, went back to the car, started it up, backed up. Headlights, I turned him on. I turned him on, looking at his body. I went back to him, checked his pulse, he was dead. I saw a carpet in front of him because of the headlights. I said, I don't want the birds to be picking at his body. So I grabbed the carpet and I put it over him. Jumped in the car, backed out, took off nude, went back to Quail Run. Lee, did you take anything else off of him when you went into his pockets other than the car keys? No. So mm -hmm. you went back to Quail Run? Yes. Why did you go back over to Quail Run? Because I was totally nude and I had to get dressed and I also had to get my senses together. I was totally crying, shaking, totally scared out of my mind and I had to change. I had to get on my clothes and everything. And then when I got there, I realized that I had a little bit of blood on me and stuff. So I went into the trunk and got out the stuff he took out and I started cleaning myself like he did. And then I put my clothes back on and then I took all the stuff that was in the car and threw it on the floorboard and I took all my stuff and put it on the seat and just sat there wondering what to do, drinking a beer and thinking, what am I gonna do? Just didn't know what I was gonna do. And I said, I'm gonna have to lay low. I don't know what I'm gonna do, man. I can't get out. I, I'm gonna have to drop this car off, whatever. When I saw the radar detector, I said, I'll keep it to pawn it off for food or whatever, because I'm not gonna be able to get out on the road now. I'm scared they're gonna find his body. I've gotta go and hurry up and dump this car off. What time, the, what time is it by this time? This is, I, I remember when I was throwing stuff out. I was throwing a bunch of stuff out in the woods. Just kept on throwing. So at nine quail run, I drove to another area. I stopped again and I threw a bunch of stuff out in the woods and I noticed his watch and I checked it. It was 6.30 in the morning. When, when do you uh, last remember in terms of time that, that he was alive? I don't know how long. See, I didn't know what time it was. All I know is he was out there sitting in the car on the hood for about an hour, and I never, never got to know what time it was. Okay. All right, so what did you do after that, after you noticed what time it was? I said, I've got to hurry up and get back to Ty. I'm going to, I'm tired. I'm beat up. I'm hurting all over. My crotch hurts. My vagina hurts. My nose hurts. I'm freaking out, I've got to go take a shower. I mean, these are the things that are going through my mind, you know, as I'm sitting there, I've got to, get, I've got to, I've got to hurry up and get rid of this car, go back home, take a shower, hurry up and get this car. I was going to take it to the car wash, wash it, and go drop it off somewhere to get rid of all my prints. I'm so scared now because I just had, had to kill this guy. Okay. And I don't know what to do. What did you do? Well, I went back home, and when I got home, I, that my plan was to go to the car wash, wash the car off and everything else, and get rid of it. But when I got there, Maggie, my dog Maggie, and my cat Tyler, Maggie tore the chair all to shreds. She chews carpets too, and she chewed the carpet all to shreds, tore the curtains and the blinds all up. 
So I, when I knocked on the door and Ty opened the door for me and I saw this, I said, what is this? And she said, I don't know, Maggie and Tyler just got crazy. Why, I was at work, I said, oh my God. And I just realized, you know, that I've got this guy's car. The man, I, we're supposed to move that day. It, it, totally a coincidence that we were moving that day. We had three people that were gonna move us at the, around five o'clock after Ty got out. And I said, man, if the manager sees this, he's gonna call the cops. He's gonna have cops here. I've got the car here, everything. I've gotta get rid of the car and everything. So I said, Are you, I, all the boxes, were, everything was ready to move. And I said, let's, let's move now. I've got, a guy loaned me a car like that, I said to her. And I said, he's waiting at a motel. He's gonna let us keep it for just a couple hours to move. I just said it like that. And I told her to call Jane and tell her we're coming over. Just to hurry up and get out of that room because it was totally destroyed. And then she said, what are those hickeys on your neck? And I said, what are you talking about? And so I walked into the bathroom and I looked and I said, oh, no, I must have slapped a mosquito real hard or something. I was trying to ignore it and she kept asking me. She said, I told you, don't you ever go out there with those hickeys on, I mean, get a hickey out there uh, when you're out in the road. And I told her, I said, they're not hickeys, don't worry. I just slapped a mosquito too hard or something. I don't know what it is. And then we just, that was the end of that. And then we hurried up and got the stuff in and we just left. What did you finally do with uh, Richard Mallory's car? Okay, we got to the new apartment. I hurried up, we put our stuff in. Ty had to hurry up and go to work. I had to go right back to the motel. She had to pick up the moped. My, I think it was 12 speed. My 12 speed was there too. The moped and 12 speed were together. I decided to put the 12 speed in the back of the trunk and she took the moped, went to work. I went to the car wash, hurried up and washed the car, cleaned it out. Then I went down John Anderson, went up to a place uh, to park it, and I took the bicycle out, and I was gonna ride home. And I was cleaning the car out and make sure about Prince. I forgot the glove box, and that's where his, because I found his wallet underneath the seat, and I went through it to find out who he, if he really was Richard or what his name was and that and a bunch of credit cards and everything else. And I just threw it in the glove box and as I was wiping down, I remember the glove, I opened up and I said, oh, oh God, I forgot to throw this out. So I went in the back of the car, I dug a hole and I put it there and then I found this darn vodka bottle was underneath the seat and a couple more glasses were underneath the seat that I didn't notice. So I took them out, I put them and so I started checking underneath the seat really good to get everything and I was finding like like pens and those fun little business cards and stuff, and I was just throwing them. I didn't really know what I was doing. When I got done burying the wallet and the glass and the, the vodka bottle in it and the glass and stuff, the stuff else, what I was finding in the car, I was just throwing. I didn't even, you know, just, just throwing the stuff out. Which, see, I didn't know what I was doing here. I was doing this to bury for prints to make sure my prints were on there. And then I was just throwing stuff out, so I didn't have. Did you take anything out of uh, Richard Bowery's wallet when you were going through it? Well, he only had about $38 or 42 or 48 something like that. It wasn't very much money. Did you take it? Yes. Did you take any credit cards? No. What did you do after you finished throwing things into the woods? And I got on my bicycle, I started riding, and I just threw the keys into the into somebody's yard or something. It was like a bush or something. I just threw them. 
went back home. That's it. I just went home. Lee, did you make it clear to men that picked you up that you would not have sex with them without money? Well, I had two guys had sex with me without money once, and I didn't do anything to them, and I had my gun with me. And they just never used a weapon on me. They never hurt me. They weren't really physical or anything on me. They just didn't want me to go unless they had sex. But uh, basically, I told them, you know, I don't do it without money. Okay. May I have a moment, Your Honor? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. How many times? One time. Had you ever had uh, anal sex prior to this time uh, with Richard Mallory? Never in my life. I always told my clients I don't do anything kinky, anything dirty or nasty. Always decent, clean. Okay. When Mallory started getting violent with you, did you try to calm him down? Did you try to talk him down? Refresh your question. Did you say anything to Mr. Mallory when he was trying to get violent with you? I, I didn't. I couldn't. He was choking me so hard that the blood was running to my head and spots were before my eyes. I couldn't talk. All I could do was help. I was trying to get the court not to be 